Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Okay, it's NAIDOC week. Well, it's the end of NAIDOC week. And I wanted to start by acknowledging that the land that we're on today is in Newcastle area, is the land of the very beautiful Awabakal people. And if you're in Maitland where we live, then it's the Wanarua people. And if you are where I come from in uh, Wellington, I am a Wiradjuri woman. So my mum's family are the Dailies and from the Wellington area. And I said earlier, like my only claim to fame is that I am related to the country and Western singer Troy Cassadaly. So you have to know country and Western to know that he's really quite famous in that realm. So I know him, but he doesn't know me. So... (laughs) But I'm, here's my claim to fame, so I'm having it. Okay. So it's this is a really great week for me because it's a special time as we celebrate NAIDOC week and as a church and as a nation. And one of the things that I get to do is take my grand, when we don't have COVID, I get to take my grandkids to lots of different cultural events and celebrations. And we get to enjoy the rich diversity that's out there in the Aboriginal community around us, and which I'm a part of. This also is the place and time where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people get to showcase and highlight that incredible diversity and the riches, richness of the heritage and the culture that actually belongs to us as a nation. So when we embrace the whole of our nation, we get so much more than what we just bring to the table. We get so much of what other people bring to the table, particularly our Indigenous culture. So because I'm so familiar with NAIDOC, it did occur to me that a lot of people may not know what NAIDOC is or where it came from. And so you might be saying, well, what does this, what does NAIDOC have to do with the church? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. One of the most exciting things that I discovered was this incredible partnership of the church with Aboriginal organisations that actually birthed NAIDOC in this country. So I want you to take a couple of minutes and come with me while we do a little bit of a history on Aboriginal Australia. So on January 26, 1938, while many other Australians were celebrating the 150th anniversary anniversary of the first landing, there was a small group of Aboriginal men and women that went to Australia Hall in Sydney and they were continuing a fight that had been ongoing for 150 years. So what they were doing was bringing a resolution and this was what the resolution said. We, representing the Aborigines of Australia, assembled in conference at the Australian Hall, Sydney on the 26th of January 1938, this being the 150th anniversary of the white man's seizure of our country, hereby make protest against the callous treatment of our people by the white men men, during the past 150 years. And we appeal to the Australian nation of today to make new laws for the education and care of Aborigines as we ask for a new policy which will raise our people to full citizen status and equality within the community. Now, full citizen status back then meant recognising Aboriginal people in Australia's constitution because up until that time or at that time in 1938, we were considered flora and fauna. And so that just means that my relatives in 1938 were actually considered either an animal or a plant, which was interesting. 
Phil looks at me sometimes and thinks, oh, what are you? Are you a real person? But we weren't considered real people. But I am in the Constitution, so I am real. And this day was actually, this particular day that they gathered was a culmination of 150 years of ongoing struggle. And there was also a lot of work going on behind the scenes by the, Ab the Australian Aboriginal League and the Aborigines Progressive Association. And it was the inspiration for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander activism right through the 20th century. And in the early 60s, both organisations became the driving force calling for a constitutional referendum that took place in 1967. Otherwise, I'd still be classified as flora and fauna. Now, I remember as a little girl the incredible massive turnout of Australian people, black and white, thousands upon thousands that walked across the Sydney Harbour Bridge calling out the injustice and the inequity and the absolute neglect of the Australian government and standing up and saying, we have a voice and we are saying we want change. And they marched together in solidarity and it's it was an absolute place of where the Holy Spirit, this is, this is what I see. When I see something like that, I actually recognise when God is at work in a nation and he takes the masses and becomes a voice on the streets. Jesus never ever went to the high places of government and got engaged in political squabbles. He always was at the level of the people on the streets. So when that march took place and I look at something like that, I think, God, this is you at work in a nation, changing a nation. So the Australian Aboriginal League, now this is where it gets really exciting because this is where the God of justice, now we listen to what Brit's talking about with justice and this incredible God that we serve is not, he's not, he's a God of love, mercy, compassion and justice. And this is where the God of justice in our national history demonstrated his love through his church. So the Australian Aboriginal League partnered with many church denominations to declare the Sunday before Australia Day as National Aboriginal Day, Aboriginal Sunday. Now this was meant to serve as a reminder of the unjust treatment that Aboriginal people had experienced and the first of these took place in 1940 and continued until 1955 when it moved to the first Sunday in July, which is our Sunday just gone. So in 1957, this is really a history lesson. Are you still with me? Yeah. Well, listen to this. In 1957, with support and cooperation from federal and state governments, the churches and major Indigenous organisations formed a National Aborigines Committee, which continues to this day as NAIDOC. So NAIDOC now stands for National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. Now that's a mouthful and I'm really glad for the acronym at this point. The church played a significant partnership role in this establishment of justice, speaking up against injustice and putting birthing something in our nation that is mandated by government to remind us that Aboriginal people are meant to be equal and the injustice is meant to stop. And so that reminder remains with us every year as we celebrate NAIDOC week and I love it. I love it that we get to stand up and say something that is in line with what God's word says.
So you might be wondering at this point, well, what on earth does it, this all happen in the 20th century? So we got the referendum up. We, we were recognised in the constitution. We were able to vote, which was good. And then we were taken out of the Flora and Fauna Act and we were no longer considered animals or plants. And all of this in the 20th century was a massive undertaking and a massive achievement. But what has that got to do with the church in the 21st century? Part of what we do now is recognise that there is an ongoing struggle. And I don't know what you know. In a room like this, I know that there is more information going out at our school levels now than there ever used to be, but there's still a great deal of truth-telling that needs to happen. But what we get to do in the 21st century is join ourselves to God's Word and move with that Holy Spirit power that releases nations from captivity, oppression and poverty. How does it happen? Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the cause of widows. So the church in this nation has a long history with Aboriginal people, some good and some bad. But what we understand now in 2021 as the body of Christ, that the path to true biblical reconciliation is through restorative justice. So Matthew 5, 23 to 24 points to the importance of reconciliation in the case of a believer who had absolutely no animosity towards another but learns that another has something against him. And Jesus urges the believer to take immediate action and to go and reconcile before bringing a gift of worship before God. Everything about our role as a disciple of Jesus is proactive. Jesus was the most proactive person on the planet when he walked to this earth. Everything he did was deliberate and intentional, even down to dying on a cross. And we get the opportunity then to listen to what he sends us out to do. He says, go and make disciples. He says, ask, seek, knock. Everything about our role with him and our partnership with the Holy Spirit is proactive. So if he set the example by standing up and addressing and challenging the attitudes and actions that existed within the communities that he mingled with, then that's a part of our role. That's why we have a missions and justice team in this church. It's because this is an important aspect of what we do. And part of my role at work, I work with a training organisation that trains doctors to be GPs. And I'm part of the Aboriginal cultural education team. And what we do is we educate registrars that are in training. And we also educate supervisors about Aboriginal people and a couple of years ago, I was absolutely amazed when someone said to me and a, a large proportion of the people that I worked with said that they had never met an Aboriginal person. And that's despite the fact that we have this really large Aboriginal population all around us. So the simple solution is to just organise a group outing and 
head up to the big NAIDOC event that happens up in Newcastle every year that the Awabakal um, community put on and it's up at Civic Park. It's an amazing place for us to come together to experience that cultural diversity and rich. Has anybody ever been to one of those? One person, come on, we can do better than two. Thank you. Do we have three? No. Okay. Look, we have opportunity for this engagement. And I don't know if any of you could say that. Have you ever met an Aboriginal, apart from me, who looks quite white? Have you ever met an Aboriginal person? Have you ever had a dialogue? Have you ever had a conversation? Have you been exposed to the culture and the community? There's amazing opportunities out there for us to be able to do that. And my heart and my encouragement to you is that when those opportunities present themselves, engage engage. So off we go to this brilliant place where the culture, the whole of the Aboriginal community in, in Newcastle turns out for this. It's an amazing place to be. And the interaction with the kids and everything is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But we get to celebrate the culture and the commonalities. Now, Don Richardson in his book, Eternity in Their Hearts, said this, has the God who prepared the gospel for all people groups also prepared all people groups for the gospel. And in his book, he gives these fantastic real life examples of the way the ways people groups have woven into their histories and their stories concepts that have prepared them for the gospel. And I see this in so many places with my ancestor stories. And I've come to really appreciate and to value the places where my faith and my history connect. And where sometimes as a church family or churches generally, we're very quick to throw out things like Dreamtime stories and some of the stuff that we hear that spiritually we just think, no, that's not what we're used to hearing. But in those stories, God has a way of weaving his story. And now I'm now that I'm looking for it, I see it everywhere in our stories, in our, our people's history. So as a predominantly white population surrounding a much smaller Aboriginal community, we as a church can deliberately and intentionally engage in a true biblical reconciliation. The church in this nation helped establish NADOC. It was that partnership between the, Aborigine, the Australian Aboriginal League and the different denominations that came together and brought about that unity and that solidarity and that resolution being transformed into a constitutional referendum. So we see that ongoing inequality and pervasive poverty still present in today's Aboriginal communities. And I said earlier, you know, I'm from a family of 10, so I've got nine siblings and they're all, they're all mine, but there is such a difference in the way that we look. So I'm very white and I've got brothers and sisters that are quite dark. And that diversity just in one family, just in one family, but the same history. And there's commonalities that we have across different um, places in our families and in our communities that we get opportunities to engage with. So part of what we see in God's reconciling work, and which is the shape of all true reconciliation, if you were to read through Galatians 5, 13 to 26, or 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 18, we see the source of enmity and hostility accurately recognised as human sin. 
where the cost, we see that the whole picture of where the cost and the consequence of sin is paid for and where forgiveness and restoration of relationship is made possible. Christ is the mediator, not only of reconciliation between us and God, us and us and himself. He's the mediator and the reconciler between alienated people groups. And we see this all the way through the New Testament when we look at the Jews and the Gentiles. And what we see there is this, this hostility that's been historic over a long period of time dissolved at the cross. The cross dissolves that hostility and that brokenness and it brings about unity and peace. And part of what God's wanting to do with us as a body of people, not just as a body of people, I believe the body of Christ. When Britt talks about finding your one passion, I've got many, but this one passion is that the body of Christ transforms at some point in our near future as we look at what's going on in the world, that the body of Christ transforms before the eyes of the world into the bride of Christ where the beauty and the splendour, the majesty and the glory of our King is flowing through us as a body of people that is so recognisable by the world around us that we truly represent Jesus on the earth. Now, the only way that that ever is going to happen is when our hearts one by one are transformed. And I know my heart what God had to do in me. And I said earlier, one of the things about being white in a black family is I could hide. I can hide my Aboriginality. I don't have to come out and say and really put myself in the face of discrimination, racism and persecution because that's what I experience once people know. And you'd be surprised. Until you see the Adam Good story, you know nothing about the level of racism that goes on in Australia. But what God has done in my heart has been what's made the difference. He's had to take my heart and open it, crack it open and expose in me those attitudes and those places that I have hidden in myself that I'm not even aware of until I let the light of the Holy Spirit come in and bring what is in the dark out into the light. Now, if we are as a body of Christ in this nation, if we are ever, ever going to fulfil our prophetic destiny as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, something has to change in the way that we are divided and we still have this level of oppression that the church is not yet fully engaged with. The body of Christ transforming into the bride is what's going to bring change to our nation. I know it. I know it. And part of my heart is to know that we go on a journey together where we allow that exposure of the Holy Spirit into our hearts, dealing with those hidden attitudes and those places that are hidden that need to come into the light and need to be changed. Because I know that when I got saved, I brought nothing to the table. I was totally dependent upon the one who had the power, had the resources and had the voice to call me back to himself. And in the same way, the church has the power, has the resources and has the voice. It's upon us 
the responsibility for reconciliation rests with the ones who have the power to offer it. What we have to offer is magnificent and exquisite and we have to come from a heart that isn't interested in just doing the actions of justice. Everything, every time Jesus released a miracle onto this planet, he was moved with compassion. It was a heart miracle that came. It wasn't just an action. It was something that was coming out of his heart. He's demonstrated that for us in a way that could challenge us if we let it. So I've always loved the six o'clock session here at the Granary because what I get at this session is a generation that is really willing to engage to not be complacent or have a paternalistic sense of duty, but who are developing a passion to see the God's justice dispensed on the earth. There's a couple of platforms that we can operate from when we get this alive inside of us. And the first place is what Brit's talking about, where we take in the natural, we, we speak up and we address that oppression and we meet the needs. But the other platform that we're meant to, to operate at is in prayer. And that platform is where we get to really stand up against an enemy who wants to see this nation continue to be a divided and that oppression to continue. And we get the opportunity as God's people with this incredible power that has been released from the cross of Christ into our lives to be the people of God in that prayer place and to stand and see the enemy put to, to, to rout, I was going to say to death, but rout that enemy and get him out of these arenas that we are meant to own and take responsibility for. And this generation that I'm looking at across this room you have a magnificent space right now to be speaking into a nation. And I'm not suggesting that we go on protest rallies or go to the streets. Theo preached a great message here a couple of weeks ago and then we had him last week at, Na at Maitland and he talked about that scripture where wisdom cried out in the streets. That's justice, the Holy Spirit in the voices of the people. That's what happened when thousands of people marched across the, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and mouths of people. Now, I'm going to suggest that the, the social conscience that drove many non-Christians to that bridge that day was much more biblically based back then in 1967 than the social conscience that exists out there today. So as if we as the church don't become that social conscience, we are missing this amazing opportunity to actually be a part of transforming what is already feeling like to so many of the Aboriginal communities a lost and despairing cause. They're tired. I can tell you, our Aboriginal communities, they're tired. They've been fighting this fight on their own. They've been leading the fight when really the responsibility for leading the fight against injustice belongs to the church and our partnership with the Aboriginal community. So it's not paternalistic. We're not doing it because we can fix everything for them, but because we can empower their voices by standing alongside of them with ours. That's what happened at that march across Sydney Harbour Bridge. You should look it up on the internet. It's amazing. I loved it. And these are great examples of God at work in his church. 
to speak for the oppressed, to cry out on the streets. There's so much that we can do in terms of proactively going out there and moving mountains. We are meant to be mountain movers. We can speak to that mountain. We can release the power of the cross. The voice of the Holy Spirit is upon us. I listened to a couple of our young people at Maitland today. When we were doing the Embrace the Word Challenge, and there was these nice long scriptures to read before the preacher got up. I just thought, awesome, our young people who would not do an offering message, wouldn't do any of the other things that we wanted them to do, but would get up and read from a page that they didn't have to look at anybody. But the scripture that they read this morning was Psalm 29. And it talked about the God of glory who thunders and whose voice splits the seas, the, the cedars of Lebanon and whose voice is heard in the thunder roll when we hear it across the earth and whose voice causes the lightning to come forth into the earth. It's a magnificent psalm and it speaks about the power of God's voice. The power of God's voice is within us. We are his voice on this planet and we get to take everything that that blood purchased for us into those places where injustice and inequity and poverty still exist. This is our nation we're talking about. We're not talking about India and we're not talking about the Philippines and we're not talking about some of those other very destitute nations. We're talking about a very wealthy, rich Australia. And yet we have the highest rates of poverty among our Aboriginal communities in, as in any of the third world countries. We have the highest rates of Aboriginal young people suiciding because of the despair and the hopelessness that they're experiencing. What a difference it made in 1967 when the church partnered with Aboriginal community, what a difference that made. It went all the way up to government and we are still seeing the results of it today. This partnership opportunity is a partnership, first of all, with the Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts. But secondly, it's a proactive partnership that we go to flippin' NAIDOC event. They are amazing and you will love it and you will get the opportunity to, you might not even talk to anybody, you can at least talk to a stall owner and talk to them about what they've got on their stall so that you can walk away from something like that knowing that you have deliberately engaged. Who knows where that can take us? I've got no idea how to fix this in our nation. If I did, I'd do it. All I know is that God knows and God's waiting. He's waiting on us. He will not move without our partnership with him. And it's very easy for us to do that if we will take our hearts, if we would just take our hearts and lay them down and allow him to break them. Let him break our hearts afresh so that we feel what he feels when he looks at them so that we are moved with compassion when we look at that multitude. So in Jesus' name, I'm going to say to you, we have a voice and we have the proactive privilege as disciples of Jesus to embrace and enact the word of God and to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, you're amazing at what you show us just about us. We are so complex, God, and we are so good at hiding 
our hearts, Lord, from even ourselves. So I pray, Lord, in this place, this, this evening, that you would crack us open in a way, Lord, that takes us to our knees and causes us, Jesus, to lay ourselves bare before you so that you can bring out of the darkness and into the light those things that are contributing to the problem instead of helping it. So, Father, we give you our hearts afresh tonight and we pray, Lord, that you would take us and make us not just the body of Christ, Lord, but transform us into your magnificent bride that demonstrates who you really are in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you. What is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.